Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. But I'll, I'll never forget the first time I met Pastor Chris. I knew that there was another church called Abba Love in the city, and you guys have, have heard Pastor Mike, right? Pastor Mike, so Pastor Chris is, um, he's basically associate, he is the associate pastor, sort of like the executive uh, role in this church. But I'll never forget, we had a serve day with all of the churches coming together. And uh, we were at Ayala Park, and we were picking up like all these weeds and doing things, and, and Chris was there. And I was so encouraged because I was talking to him, I'm like, man, you know, I got these little girls, and you're a PK, which is a pastor's kid. <laughs> I'm like, man, talk to me about pastor's kids because I don't want to mess it up. I hear a lot of pastor's kids, you know, they just kind of go crazy, and I don't want that for my little girls. So we were talking, and one thing I noticed is you guys know my heart. I'm really big on not just being spiritually mature but being emotionally mature, right? And so um, Pastor Chris was speaking my language, and he was talking about father wounds, and he was talking about um, family tree, family of origin. He was talking about how God, he crafts something within us, not just spiritually, but emotionally. And I just remember having an immediate connection because within the church world, sometimes we forget about that. We're just so focused on the spiritual stuff and the speaking in tongues and the prophesying, all of which are great. And we forget that, like, how are you doing with your neighbor? Right, And so that was a conversation that we had, and he was just sharing his heart with me in, in ministry. And so I'm really excited to lean in because he's like a teacher's teacher. And so I just want you to lean in into to what he has to offer today. So could we give it up for Pastor Chris and honor him this morning? Love you, brother. What's up, Coin Church? Wow. You guys literally give like a towel for the preacher. Just in case they're sweating up here, you know. My name is Christian. If you think that I'm 15, that's what all the cops think every time I drive. I was a youth pastor for a long time, and they're always like, uh, where's the youth pastor? I'm like, I am, you know. And so um, I'm actually 34. Wait, no, 35. Forget about age. Uh, I have two uh, small kids. Um, Kelly and uh, Sam are actually neighbors now, like we're super close, right? And our church is also very close. We're like 10 minutes away. You've heard Pastor Mike, he's something else. And so that's my partner in ministry. Now, if you're expecting Pastor Mike, you're not going to get Pastor Mike today. You got me. And so it's going to be awesome. Thank you so much, Coin Church. It's just an honor and a privilege to pastor a church together in the same city as you guys. As I was standing in worship and I just sensed God in this place. Now, I don't know what your spiritual background is. Maybe you're, you think you're spiritual or you're like, well, I didn't grow up in the church. I just want to say that this is such a home to the presence of God. And that literally means it's just when you walk in, you sense that there is something in the people, not just the building. The space is great, but the people. There is a hunger here. That I sense. And I just want to affirm you and bless you. And thank you for being in this city. All right. Now, I want to talk about today of a message called Called to be Free. When Pastor Sam asked me, um, would you like to speak at a coin? I'm like, dude, I would love to. He actually spoke a couple weeks ago and our people just loved it. Of course, we gave him like a hard topic for him, all the hard work, right? So I'm going to do my best also today. 
called to be free. There is a passage in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, and it says this. This is Paul speaking to a church just like you in a city called Galatia. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. In 2004, my ex-girlfriend, now wife, <laughs> um, watched this documentary. It's called Supersize Me. Anyone watched Supersize Me before? It's this guy, crazy guy named Morgan Spurlock. He was like the actor and also the director, and it was actually Academy Award nominated. And he followed his journey for 30-day period from February 1st to March the 2nd in 2003, uh, where he only ate McDonald's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Super healthy. And, um, you know, the film followed his journey. And, you know, when you were watching this documentary, you just captured by the craziness that was taking place in front of you and how it affected him psychologically and physiologically. And the whole point is really it's a exposing the, the fast food industry that we have in, you know, in the world. And he consumed about 5,000 kilocalorie a day. We're supposed to consume like 2,500 kilocalorie a day. And even though he walked two kilometers or 1.5 miles a day, thank you so much, he was actually um, gaining a lot of things like body mass and cholesterol. <laughs> and he started experiencing mood swings and sexual dysfunctions and all these things. And, you know, we were watching this, and we said to ourselves, we will never eat McDonald's again. <laughs> the golden arch. But guess what? The next day, this is a confession of sin from a pastor to you. Me and my girlfriend were in a McDonald's drive-thru. <laughs> I guess after seeing so many Big Macs, you're like, man, it was so disgusting, but I really want one right now. <laughs> Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you heard a good message or you heard Pastor Sam preach or Pastor Mike or whoever it is, your podcast maybe, and you're like, man, I just want to change. But then you find it in yourself that it's so hard to actually change. To be honest, you don't know how to change, even if you want to. Maybe some of you have been a Christian following the way of Jesus for 20 years, but the truth is you never reach maturity. You're the same person a one-year-old every year for 20 years. And just to be honest, right? I'm a Christian. I grew up in a church. Like he said, I'm a PK. PKs only have, uh, pastor's kids only have two destinies, right? Either really good or really bad. And I'm, maybe I'm the few that actually, not even really good, but made it. And so have a lot of grace for your pastor's kids in this place. But maybe you read and memorized Bible verses, or maybe you read the whole entire Bible and you know it inside out, but you still find yourself having a hard time loving those who are around you. You find yourself without compassion or patience with them. How do I know? Personal experience of being married. An explosive 
Like, you know, like I, I spend my life in church and ministry and I listen to people's problem and I try to answer them if, if I have the answer to them. You know, I, it's funny because one time someone got really angry and he came up to me and he said, Pastor Christian, where were you? Me and my wife were fighting. Where were you? And I, was, I just had a really tough week and I look at him and I said, you want to really know where I was? I was fighting with my wife. We forgot pastors are just people. We're just people. And so in the West, we hold this view that somehow if we just think hard enough about what is good, so like be happy, be happy, be happy, you're going to be happy. If you think hard enough, be patient, be patient, be patient, you're going to be patient. Somehow we believe that we are brains on legs. And so if you just put in the right information, download the right podcast, you will be able to live right. And then reality hits, and you find that's not the case. It's because we are a whole entire being. And so reading and getting to know your Bible is not enough. We need to address some things today. We need to get to the bottom of the environment of your transformation. We need to address the truth and the lies that you believe in. We need to address some desires and habits that you've developed. We need to really look at some cultural values that you hold to be a reality. Dallas Willard, one of the, my most favorite authors, he said this, that the most important thing in your life is not what you do. It's who you become. And that's what you will take into eternity. If we do not pay attention of who we are becoming today, we are going to miss on what God actually interested in in your life. An author, Robert Mulholland, in his book, love this book, would recommend it. It's called Invitation to a Journey, subtitle, A Roadmap to Spiritual Formation. He defines following Jesus, or the church he word for it is discipleship, or some of you know it's spiritual formation, as the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. I think there's a lot to say here, but I just want to say two things that I want you to focus on today. Number one, it's a process. It's a process, right? Some of us, when you hear the word salvation, what do we think about? That's a fancy word just for, well, Pastor Christian, it's about going to heaven or to hell, right? You look at someone who try, with a good motivation, try to share the gospel with you, and they are holding up a sign, and it says, go to hell. Is that what this is all about, or is there more to this? Actually, the Greek word salvation, for the word salvation, it's healing. And there is this whole idea how who we become will determine what heaven or hell's experience is like in this life or the next, in eternity. And so, is it possible that salvation is not a one-time event, but it's a journey? Check out the words in the Bible. Paul says this, work out your salvation. Peter, grow into your salvation. Are we growing? Or are you guys just like waiting to exit this world? Yeah, I don't care if the world goes to hell. I mean, everything is just messed up, Pastor Christian. You don't know. 
You don't know my neighbors. You don't know my coworkers. You don't know my boss. Have you, have you watched the news recently? Like everything is just going crazy. I'm just waiting for my ticket to ride out of here. If that's your idea of what salvation is, you will be disappointed. Because God has a greater idea about it. Here's John. He says, in salvation, you grow up from a little children to a young man or a young woman. And then to become fathers and mothers in the faith. Now, the question I have for you today is how do we grow and mature to become that person that Jesus has made us to be? Still following along? Yes. If you're here today and you consider yourself, I do, I, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Welcome. What I'm talking about is not a religious journey. It's a human journey. Every person goes through asking these questions about meaning of life and why I'm here. So when I talk about salvation, it's more than just heaven or hell. It's a human journey in understanding our purpose and who God is, who created us and placed us here. Number two, Moholland said that it is for the sake of others. Your process of becoming to become like Jesus is for the sake of others. Now, we forget this all the time because we live in this self-help culture, right? Have you ever gone to Barnes & Nobles recently, the shops? You walk around and you look at what's the most, like, famous titles. It's all about your maximum potential. Is that right? We're a culture obsessed with who can I become? I want to reach my maximum potential. Like 10 hacks, how to be awesome at this, or whatever it is. If I come up next week and I preach a sermon, let me preach a sermon, 25 limitations that you have. Would you come? Turn off that podcast right away, because you're not about that limitation, but you are actually very limited. God created man from dust and spirit. The dust speaks of this earth, but also talks about limitation. How many hours do you have in a day? 24. How many hours do you sleep? Well, it depends, Pastor Christian. <laughs> I want to say eight. <laughs> you know, it's church. I, I want everybody to like me. Uh, technically, I can't sleep at night. I work too hard, and I don't even have time for my family. Life is moving so fast, probably four to five hours. The truth is we are so limited, yet we don't know what to do with our limitations. Is there something to that that God is trying to hint to us? What if our life is not meant to be just lived for ourselves, but for the sake of others? That you are transformed not to just stay in the four walls of this church, but for the sake of your neighborhood. The context is community. Now, there's a pastor in Melbourne, a cultural commentator. His name is Mark Sayers. And he argues that human beings have reservoirs in their life. All right? And there's three reservoirs. It's meaning, community, and freedom. These, are, these three always exist in every, cultural, uh, every culture, every society. The problem with the West where we live is this. We have such a low tank in meaning. It's true, right? 
It doesn't mean anything. Sex, for example. It's just two bodies, two lump of meat meeting together. Hey, let's come on. Let's be honest. That's how we view it. And we think that that's a higher view of the body, but it's actually a lower view of sex. And so when someone says, you guys in church, you, you're trying to repress all of sexual desire. Let me tell you, the Bible is one of the most sexual book I've ever read. God designed it to be amazing in the context of a covenant. And so don't, don't, tell, don't, don't let someone else tell you, you have a low view of sex or the body. The church has stood and view it. Now, there's abuses and there's dark side of this whole body of Christ. But from the very get-go, your, your, the scripture have a lot of sense of meaning. But in our culture today, we deconstruct everything. No more meanings, right? Authority, meaningless. Marriage, meaningless. Anything, meaningless. So what do we do? Man is created for meaning, so you have to put your meaning somewhere else. And so new religion come and be birthed like sports. How do I know sports are religion? I know what you could be like when you're watching a Lakers game. I'm talking to the men especially here. If you, someone says that men are not emotional, go to a Lakers game. <laughs> Have you seen men act like that in worship in church? Oh, they'll be screaming. They'll be standing up. They'll hit someone if they need to. Like, I mean, it's wild. And then we go to church and the band plays and then suddenly all the men says, no, 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 no. I'm not into this stuff. Like, man, we don't do this stuff. No, we are emotional in the way God created us. Community. We're so hyper-individualistic. First time I came to the States, 2006, I was so shocked. I came from Indonesia, third world country, grew up in a communal setting. And then I grew up here, and then I was like, I don't know how many locks in a door in California. Like, yo, wild. And then 10 years later, I become one of you. So I don't believe that Americans don't have culture. Like when I ask someone, you know, like oh, Americans are like, oh, I love your culture, you know. Oh, you're Indonesians? Oh, man, I love it. How about you? Oh, no, I don't have a culture. I don't believe it. Americans are weird to the rest of the world, at least. And so we have a low tank of meaning, a low tank of a community, but a full tank, an overflowing tank of freedom. That's what we stand for in this country. Now, let, let me get this straight. I'm all about freedom. But this is not a good view of freedom. I'm talking about the choices in the Cheesecake Factory. Or when you go to Cold Stones and you have so many freedom of choices or entertainment on your Netflix account and it's causing you anxiety. Because here's the truth about anxiety. And this is what I love about what Mark Sears is saying. Anxiety is a sign that you have a lot of freedom but lack of meaning. Anxiety is a sign that you have a lot of freedom but a lack of meaning. So we're like, we just want to be free to do anything that we want. But then you have no meanings. And that's why our culture is written with anxiety to the core. But in Christianity, here's what it's supposed to have. You're supposed to have a sense of meaning and a sense of relational connection 
And this is hard for Americans to hear. All right, I'm going to preach right here. Are you ready? You need to limit your tank of freedom. Why? Because to live in community and to find meaning, you limit your freedom. Who chose that you are supposed to meet here at 11? Did you choose? Someone chose it for you. And you came here and you limited your freedom. You were like, no, I want church to be at 12 today. You look at the worship, you're like, why is it that set list today? Come on, man. Where's my favorite song? Or you go to one of your group meetings and then someone, you know, um, you know my, in our church in Abelove, we're, um, majority of us are Asians and then we have also uh, Hispanic people. And then, like, you know, we would have, we'd do potluck and then every single week, We'll have tacos. <laughs> I mean, with a group of, uh, of, of us, with small kids, and we eat together weekly. That's my way of lowering my tank of freedom. I don't get to choose it. I actually submit this because we're a community and you find meaning in this. Marriage is another great example. You limit your personal freedom so we can get a communal meaning. Look at my ring. If I'm hanging out with other women, right? Well, before I was married, right? A meet and greet. You're looking for someone to marry in church. When you're married, you don't do that. That, that was for the single people. So if you were standing up and you were married earlier when Pastor Sam, I just want to call an Arta call after this, a challenge, and I can pray for you afterwards. So everyone ache for community today. Like, that's the buzzword. Like, I'm looking for a community. I want to connect. But it actually requires a high level of commitment and limiting your or lowering your personal freedom or options for you to get that. You can't get all of them. We understand this as athletes. Anyone athletes or play sports? Yeah? You have to sacrifice some personal freedom to gain your game. So if you have a, you know, if you're a swimmer and you have to swim the next day and compete, you're not going to eat a bucket of ice cream the night before. Because you know that this is what it's going to take for me to compete tomorrow. The journey to become like Jesus is a journey for you to surrender your rights. It's a journey for you to look at how you speak and how you act and what you believe, and the values that you have accepted to be truth or reality, and to reimagine it with Jesus and other people. It's a process for the sake of others. Now, what does it look like? I think one of the help, most helpful things that I found in the Christian tradition, and this goes centuries before us, is called a spiritual map. We need a map. Is there such map that other followers of Jesus that have gone before us, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, that can show us what does it look like and where are we going? Because I've gone to church all my life. My, my dad's pastors, when I was just born, I was like in the first row after the hospital. They named me Christian just, you know, to 
differentiate between Islam and Christian and Buddhist. And, you know, like, like that, that's just me. And I'm a pastor's kid. And for the longest time, I live on Church Street here in Rancho Cucamonga. And so I was a Christian on Church Street who was a pastor. And I was doing woodworking. So I was just trying to be like Jesus. But the reality is, sometimes I get confused when I sit here and I always ask this question as I'm hearing messages after messages for 365 days in a year. Where am I going? And what's the end goal? Show me what kind of person that I need to become so that I know where I'm at and where am I supposed to go next. Well, there's an ancient paradigm called the three ways that I find to be helpful. In our tradition, the Protestant tradition, we call it justification, sanctification, or glorification. All bunch of Christianese for you. Just to show you what it is, justification is what happened that Pastor Sam was explaining earlier when we met with Jesus and we experienced that new birth. Sanctification is the process, like I said, for you to become more like Jesus. And glorification is when we finally meet with Jesus and all of us is the same as He is. His glory in us. Just like that song that we sang. But in a three-way, it's called purgation, illumination, and union. Now, this is ancient language, not mine. So if you have a problem with that, fight with someone who already in the grave. <laughs> It's called the three-way, but it's four. Trust me, I'm Asian, and I'm good at math. The awake, awakening, let's start, let's start there. Awakening is a pre-stage before you follow Jesus. Mulholland explained it like this. We come awake to the reality of God in a culture that is asleep to anything spiritual. Not only that you're suddenly aware that God is real, but you're confronted by your true spiritual condition. Right? Not the one that you try to project to other people. Like your real self. And you stop living in denial. You start saying, yeah, that's me. Actually, I messed up. My marriage is horrible. I don't know how to parent my kids. Like, help. This could happen slowly over time for some people. Or it could happen all at once in an encounter. Like you're standing in worship at Coin, and suddenly you felt this warmth, presence, and you just suddenly come into this realization. But for some of you, it doesn't happen that way. But like over time, you're just like, man, I suck. I need help. I need therapy. I need counseling. I need Pastor Sam. I need somebody. That's awakening. In the language of Jesus, before this, you were spiritually dead, and now for the first time, your eyes open to the reality. But then you go further into the next path of the journey called purgation. In this, we become uh, beginners. Like we begin the journey. You started saying, I cannot lead my own life. I need Jesus to lead me. And so you started changing the way you live. Do you know that you're supposed to change the way you live? Grace is not just for you to be forgiven of sin. Grace empowers you so that you have power over sin. And so now you start practicing spiritual disciplines. Now, discipline sounds like really bad. Discipline just really means stuff that disciples do. And so it's habits of Jesus, 
or lifestyle of Jesus. In our beloved, we say love is our lifestyle. So what does that look like? How do we flesh that out? So you start slowing down because everyone moves so fast that if you don't slow down, you cannot pray. If you don't slow down, you don't ask deeper questions and start reflecting on who you really are and who you are becoming. You start reading the Bible. For some of you, maybe you've started talking about rest and Sabbath. One of my spiritual mentors, you know, I struggle with prayer a lot. Like when I pray with a lot of people, I love it. But when by myself, I'm like, man, this is horrible. My mind jumping like monkeys in a banana tree. Have you ever tried praying? No? Just me? All right. And, you know, uh, one of the best thing that my mentor ever told me was, Christian, you want to learn how to pray? I said, yes. How do you pray? Like, how can you pray for a long time like that? Like, and enjoy it. And he says, I have one advice for you. Sleep the night before. Sleep? I don't think that's what the Bible says. <laughs> he says, well, if you don't sleep and you're rested, how can you pray? You're like, I, I want to, you know, I hear testimonies of people having encounter with Jesus. I want that. But then you stay up until 2 watching Netflix and you're going to wake up at 5.30 and you're going to have a prayer time. Last thought that you, uh, that you, you, know, you had and the last um, image that you saw was some semi-pornographic material in a TV show that you know you kind of felt guilty watching it, but you watch it anyways because it's still cool in the church. And you woke up and you're like, I want to sense God. I'm not saying that you need to be holy so that you can meet God. I'm saying that your body matters. We have a poor theology of the body in the West. We pray with all of our being. Prayer is not just a mental ascent that you're like, I need to think something about God. When you're jumping from one meeting to another and you don't even have margins in your life and you're going to jump to have amazing spiritual life, it's never going to happen. You need to start slowing down. The problem in purgation is that once you start practicing these things, you right away come up against sin, this wall. Whether it's a habit, an addiction, a leaning of your heart, or what St. Augustine called disordered desires sin is not just bad stuff that you do it's how your heart and your body have been conditioned to be and the whole idea is not purgatory in the next life but it's in this one anyone love coffee go to coffee shop lately if you love lattes here's something that i i, I love coffee i own a coffee shop come by and the thing that we do is when you, we want to make your latte, we have to steam your milk. And there's something that we teach every barista to do every time they're on bar. And it's this. Before you start steaming the milk, basically steaming the milk, you're throwing like these micro bubbles into your milk. And that's what makes it fluffy. And so when you're drinking your latte, ah, everybody just think about a latte right now, right? Before you can steam and after you steam, you got to purge it. When you purge, it sounds like this. And that's why it's, it looks cool. But you need to do that because if not, the milk gets stuck inside. 
and the steam one look like a corn dog. So if you go to a coffee shop and it looks like a corn dog, go somewhere else. It's a discipline. Purgation is kind of like that. It's this burning out of the stuff in your life so that you can be made into the image of Jesus. In the same book, he says there are four layers that God is trying to purge out of you. Ready? It's the first one. It's called gross or obvious sin. So not gross as in, ugh. It's, it's obvious. It's the Galatians 5 list, the same chapter that we just read. It says sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. These are obvious sins that you might be addicted to or running your life havoc. And even the world, to some degree, agrees that these things, man, they're, they're horrible. It's destroying people's marriages and lives and all that good stuff. The first thing that needs to go are these things. And so for some of you, when you enter into this journey with Jesus, God start dealing with that. And he's like, man, you got to purge this out. Let's take it out. Let's make you more like me. But then you got to go deeper in the next layer. And the second one is called conscious sin. And these are things that you consciously choose because they are usually socially acceptable even in the circle of believers. Maybe it's the concept of sexuality. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's violence or pornography. It's still cool in the church. How about materialism? Black Friday, anyone? Know how much stuff we have in America? No one preach against that. I came from a third world country. I don't know what Black Friday is until I came and I saw the line outside of Best Buy. But even worse, now it's Cyber Mondays. We don't even have to stand in line. It's just a click, 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 click. We don't even see our money. It's just numbers on a screen. How much stuff do we need to purge out of our life? Because it's gripping us. It has emotional value. How about gossiping? Not in this church. Just my church, though. Because <laughs> in my church, we pray. We don't gossip. We pray. But the person is like right there. Like, God, let me tell you about my group members, God. They've been having such a hard time. God, forgive them in front of other people. Because we look more spiritual and we get to kind of jab them without them seeing it or understanding what's going on. How about workaholism? I'll be the first to admit I'm a recovering workaholic. Even in the church, we just call it ministry. I read things that you consciously chose, and today as you're listening to this message, there's a tug in your heart. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to bring you into a deeper journey with me. Now, you, go, you need to go deeper into another layer. There's still deeper. Isn't it awesome? It's called unconscious sin. Very obvious. Beyond just the outside behavior, it's not about the things that you commit. It's the thing that you omit. 
It's the thing that you not do. For example, maybe you no longer curse someone with expletive words, commit violent acts or steal, but in your anger towards your spouse, inside of you, you are full of contempt, resentment, bitterness. You're like, I'm going to get you in the next one. Right? This is what some people call your shadow side. Just follows you along. It's there. You, you don't know how. You don't know what it is, but you kind of know that he's there or she's there. And many people get stuck here. That, that's what happened to me. After 2020, I was burned out. Remember 2020? God bless Pastor Sam, pastoring through 2020. We all in ministry knew that at the end of 2020, I was tired. I was tired. I was not in a good, healthy place. I was like a walking toxic waste at home. My kids get the worst of me. My wife would always give this comment. I'm sharing this because it's, I've talked it out with him, her, and I've shared this in our church as well. She would say, you, you know, we are the closest people in your life, but I feel like you are kinder to church people than you are with your own family. That's the biggest laugh that I've ever had, right? So you, if you fight with pastor's wife, they, they paraphrase your sermons back to you. And she's like, you're not saying amen? Okay. <laughs> I, had to, I had to really face some of my shadow side. It took me through counseling and therapy meeting with somebody, a disciple or a mentor, just say, God, I need you. I don't want to pastor people's soul and lose my own soul. Because the kind of person that Jesus wants to make us to be is the person who is a non-anxious presence, could be in the moment, love deeply and widely, not got swayed by every single Instagram post that you read. You could love your neighbor despite of what political party color they're with. Not people please, just very hard. Any recovering people pleasers? I feel you, I see you. We need to journey with Jesus through this. But there's another layer, the, the, the most bottom one. You're like, oh, Pastor Christian, another one? Come on. It's called your trust structure. Or this is what some people call the idols in your heart. These are deep-seated attitude, inner postures that you do not rely on God with, but on your well-being. Some people call it the program for your happiness. These are good things. Like your marriage, or your ministry, or your job, or your relationship. Do you want to know how to discover these kind of trust structures that are inside you? Ask this question. If you lose it tomorrow, how you would feel about it? Then you'll figure out what is your trust foundations. If you hang around older followers of Jesus, you'll find that they talk a lot about this one word called acceptance. They are able to just say, like Mary in the nativity story. 
God, your will be done. I'm your servant. I accept it. Enter into whatever you have for me. I will surf anywhere. Send me. Now, at this level, God wants to set you free, set your soul free from all the attachment that enslave us or in the language of the Bible, it gives you peace. Peace beyond human understanding. Anyone knows that verse? It's a peace that is deep-seated in you. Nobody can take it away from you. And that's why there's people in the tradition of uh, uh, Christian tradition, the, uh, the way of Jesus, that could be persecuted, jailed, martyred. And they said, Jesus, I am still at peace with you. And I never could understand that. But you, when you have that trust in God, no matter what, you shall not be shaken. But it's not instant. It's not like, Jesus, I give you my all. And then the next day, Mother Teresa. Right? Apostle Paul. I don't know who your hero is. It doesn't work like that. But in the church, we, we advertise it sometime like that. You come in, you're good, man. You're waiting for that ticket to ride to heaven and like now shine. Go to culture and shine. And then you end up being like everybody else. Because you forgot that this whole thing is a journey of following Jesus to be like him. If you're not set free from your trust structures and your attachment, you will continue to manipulate your circumstances and other people to maintain the life that you have. If you're tired with that, accept the invitation of Jesus. Come, follow me, pick up your cross. Then you will come to the second stage. What? Second stage? Wow, we're still there. Illumination. This is where you become proficient. Now, not masters or or like you're amazing more than God or anyone else. No, it's just now your inner motivations start changing naturally into the fruit of the Spirit. What Galatians 5 lists as joy, peace, love, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Illumination also speaks about your mind is enlightened by the light of Jesus. His death and resurrection becomes a muscle memory for you. How Jesus sees reality is how you see reality and truth. Or in Paul's language, you have the mind of Christ. You're transformed and renewed. And you obey Jesus not not out of forced obedience, but joyful surrender. You become an integrated whole being where your emotion and in your soul and your will and your mind and your body love God. Who wants to be like that? It's more than just attending a church service. It's your life. It's your inner journey. You become an excellent person, not an excellent rule followers. If you hate people who police others, the invitation is for you to be an excellent person. Eventually, you end up in what they call union. Union is a state from John chapter 15. Jesus says that the goal here is for you and I to be one, to remain in one another like a tree. And so we start aching for God more than we ache for anything else in this life. 
you reach emotional maturity, psychologically, you come into that telos, or in the language of Matthew 7, the perfect, like your father is perfect. I always get confused when I read that. I'm like, I will never be that. But it says, you are perfect, not in just behavior. It's perfect in love. It's as if like your home now is in God. You used to make your home in lust or work or unforgiveness. But now your default setting, every time you turn on your uh, MacBook, it, you know, it has, a, it has a desktop, right? Like where you start. Now your desktop is God. Your home is in God. It's intimacy. So what I'm telling you is this. Coin Church. I want to end with this challenge for you. Jesus is inviting you, not a head knowledge kind of life. He wants you to journey down to a heart knowledge with him into your deep, dark layers of things that he's purging. And he wants to birth new things in you. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, Teach them to obey. I want to teach you, or I want to challenge you. It's not about the what or the why of the Bible, but you need to learn how to obey. Because you could be a Christian. You could be a follower of Jesus, but in the words of Craig Grishel, you can be a Christian atheist. Christian in theology, but atheist in practice. You believe more in the power of Amazon Prime than in the power of prayer. Because it's quicker to click than to pray for it. You are conditioned and you are changed by your culture more to become like the world than what the Father is saying. How do you practice um, that the Father knows your need? We Sabbath together as a family uh, in my home with my kids. We say, we're going to pause from buying toys because you have a lot of toys. And we're just going to enjoy what the Father has. We're going to pause work. We're going to pause TV. So, what, what, why? I love TV. I love it too. But when, I, when the TV starts controlling you, I don't like it. Is it possible that God wants our apprenticeship to Jesus and our teaching to translate into practical obedience is the how. How are you building a daily rhythm of being with Jesus? How are you actually following Jesus in this digital tech era where you cannot shut off your phone? Some of you are already feeling anxiety, just me mentioning that. That could be your challenge. We challenge our members to turn off their phone for four hours on a Saturday morning, practice rest and trust that God is in control over their businesses and their family life. How are you practicing living in community in this hyper-individualistic society? How do you not get sucked into the busyness and the hurry so that you can be present in prayer to God? And how do you live an emotionally healthy and thriving life with the peace of Jesus in the midst of such anxious world? Maybe that's what it means to shine your light to the world. I just want to pray for you as we end. Would you close your eyes?
Thank you, God. I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you invite us into the deeper journey, wherever we are. Maybe we're at the beginning. Maybe we're not even a follower of Jesus. And today, this is our first time hearing about what following Jesus is about. God, I just pray that every single person here would feel the tug of the Holy Spirit to follow what you are doing. Just speak to us. God, would you reveal what we've been denying about our shadow side, the things that have controlled us, our words, our action, our deep trust structures. God, I'm limited, but you're not limited into the hearts of the people here at Corn. And so just, I just invite you, Lord. Would you come and be our peace?